Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored, live from New York City. You'll see the Statue of Liberty there. And, of course, that is the symbol of freedom and democracy in the United States. And nothing symbolises that more than the presidential race. My next guest is shaking up the race for the White House. He's come from pretty well nowhere to be an insurgent challenger to President Biden. And when he speaks, people are listening. He's a Kennedy, a controversialist, and now a candidate for president of the United States. RFK Jr. is seen by some as the black sheep of America's most famous political dynasty. Both his uncle, President John F. Kennedy, and his father, Robert F. Kennedy, were assassinated. Robert Jr. blames the CIA. Congress found that, yeah, it was a plot. It was a conspiracy. Just as he blames vaccines for autism and Wi-Fi for cancer. Wi-Fi radiation is, uh, does all kinds of bad things, including causing cancer. But while some cry conspiracy, many simply see a leader is ready to rot the establishment and is paying off. 49% of respondents say Democrat presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is viewed favorably by voters higher than President Biden. The wannabe podcast president is winning over liberals tired of Biden and Republicans tired of Trump. But is this ripped renegade really ready to be president? <laughs> well, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. joins me now. Great to see you. Great to meet Good you. To you. Great to meet you. Um, I interviewed you uh, a few weeks ago, the very start of all this. I've got to say, you're having a great race. I mean, this is really for you, I would say, of all the candidates on either side, you're the one getting most attention. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, so far so good. I'm, um, I think I, me and my whole team are very happy with how things are going. We're getting tremendous traction all over the country. Our polling data shows, uh, you know, me um, surging. So we're happy. Let me ask you, because viewers were asking me last time, what's up with his voice? They didn't know. They didn't know you. They hadn't heard you speak before. Let's talk about that. What is the issue with your voice? I had a very, I had a very, very strong voice until I was 42 years old. In 1996, I had an injury uh, that caused a neurological disorder called spasmodic dystonia. And it makes my voice like this. And I cannot listen to my voice. I, when I go home, I will not listen to this program. Really? I, I can't do it. And I f feel sorry for the people in your audience who have to listen to me. But <laughs> this, is, this is the best I've got right now. But I am, you know, I went over with my wife, Cheryl Hines, to do a surgery in Kyoto mm -hmm. in Japan about uh, eight months ago. And it made my voice a lot more reliable. And I, now I'm doing a bunch of alternative uh, sort of therapies that make it, I, I think, are they're making it a lot stronger. So we'll see what happens. Because you must be, when you're on the trail like this, you're doing so many interviews and, and stumpings and so on, I mean, you use your voice all the time. Does it worry you that it may just sort of pack up? Or No, because my voice actually doesn't get weaker when I use it. It gets stronger. Really? Yeah, because it's not it's not tissue injury. So my my you know my vocal cords are very very strong. It's just the neurological signals that are being sent to them are uh, are telling them to tighten up all the time, and it makes my voice gravelly. But I can talk twenty hours a day, and my voice won't wear out. So I'm not worried about that. But <laughs> well, I, tell I you don't what... like the way it sounds, and I you know I apologize to everybody. I don't think any apology is necessary. I think people are just curious. <laughs> um, and actually, it's what comes out of your voice that's more interesting and more relevant to the fact that you want to be president. You come from American royalty, the Kennedy family. 
obviously, they've had a president. They've had others who were running for president. Uh, why do you want to be president? What's your burning focus here as to why well, you, you know, are? I, I was... I did not spend my lifetime of thinking about someday I'm going to run for president. I... A bunch of things happened, particularly since COVID. Over the last 18 years, I've been subject to a lot of censorship on the issue of vaccines. So most people, think, you know, call me... People call me anti-vaccine, but I'm not anti-vaccine. And I'm called that in order to silence me. And I've been silenced in, you know, many, many ways for, for the last 18 years, but particularly since COVID. When there was blanket censorship around the country um, and in the UK and everywhere, people, you know, doctors who were reporting uh, injuries in their patients from the vaccines or reporting success from early treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were all silenced because that was not part of the political narrative. And the frustration, that censorship. And now, you know, there was a case that uh, a 155 page opinion that was issued earlier this week. By a judge um, in Missouri um, about uh, enjoining the White House from censoring people anymore, and it's a large part of that decision is about the censorship of me by the Biden White House. I was the first person censored, so the Biden came into office on January 21st, 2021, and on January 23rd. Twitter and the other social media sites refused or. Uh, um, received orders from the White House to deplatform me, and then three I mean, I later... certainly think that a lot of the censorship that went on during COVID on, on many fronts was completely wrong, looking back over it, and shouldn't have been happening. Can I, let me just ask you, have you ever had a vaccine for anything? Have I had vaccines? Yeah. I, I was fully compliant. What have you in had fact, in your life? I mean, vaccines. What? Well, I had all the vaccines. You know, when I was a kid, I took the three vaccines with, mm. that were then required. Now, my kids' generation, there are 72 vaccines required in this country, 72 doses of 16 vaccines. But I was traveling a lot as a kid. I went to Africa, Latin America, and everything. So I received that entire battery that you used to receive. So I probably received more vaccines than most people in my generation. And your kids, have, and by your the kids way, have all had vaccines? My, my kids were all fully vaccinated now. Right. So you're not intrinsically anti-vaccine? No, I was never anti-vaccine. All I want is, is the safety science. I think that we should have placebo-controlled trials, which are required for every other medical product prior to licensing vaccines. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, vaccines are exempt from those. They're the only medicine or medical product that are exempt from pre-licensing safety trials. And, you know, and therefore, we do not know what the risk profile for any of these products are, and we do not know for any particular of those 72 doses whether they are averting more problems than they're causing. And I just think we ought to know that. I also don't believe that we should have mandates. I think, you know, medicine, the government should not be... Well, I certainly think once, the, once it was established that it, you could transmit the virus, COVID, whether you've been vaccinated or not, then it becomes a personal choice. Right. I think that, that once that was established, to me, that argument about mandated was, was nonsensical. Let's take a short break. I don't want to spend the whole interview talking about vaccines. You tend to do that a, a lot, probably not uh, through I, choice. Not, not through choice. Not through choice. So we've done that. Let's come back and talk about, about you. I know you're a falconer. You like whitewater rafting. You like a thrill and a, and a danger in your life. I want to get into that after the break. More from Robert Kennedy, Jr. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored, live from New York City. I'm with my guest, Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. What, what's the best and worst thing about being a Kennedy? I... I you know, I, 
I think the good vastly outweighs the bad. Uh, I, I, I don't see anything to complain about, honestly. You know, I think there's been so many, I feel so blessed. I feel a privilege to be a member of this family. And, you know, not only because of the uh, sort of the, the cash and prize, the, the connections that you have and the access and the education. And then it's, you know, I have 11 brothers and sisters yeah. and 29 cousins and, and we all, Love each other and are and you argue a lot, right? I mean, you... oh yeah, we were we were <laughs> trained to argue, um, and my my grandfather did that with his nine kids. Mm. He would make them, you know, every night at the dinner table take opposite uh, positions. Yeah, I do that but, with my kids. Uh, I think it's healthy. Yeah, I think it is too. And I, you know, I think you need to, we never, we need to learn to talk with each other, dispute, have conversation and discourse without hating each other. I totally you know? agree. This this. <laughs> You know, I came from an era it, when I was young. You'd go down the pub and you'd have an argument and you'd buy each other a pint. And that was it. You didn't yeah. fall out with people because you disagreed with them. Well, um, you know, my uncle, Teddy Kennedy, <laughs> who was in the Senate for 50 years, and he has more legislation attached to his name than any senator in United States history. And the reason for that is he, was, he had so many friends on the Republican side of the aisle. He'd come home on weekends to the Cape, where we all live in kind of a communal group, and he'd bring Orrin Hatch, who is, you know, yeah. to us, kind of a right-wing Darth Vader, and spend the, you know, we'd spend the weekend on a boat with mm. him, and, you know, to see Teddy laughing with him and really just enjoying and loving That's how it should guys. be. It's and, how it should be. Um, and he never compromises values. Right. But You he, don't have to, but you can, no. you can certainly have your views challenged by people that don't agree. Without losing your mind, let me ask you. I mean, you, Robert, you were nine when your uncle John F. Kennedy was assassinated. You were fourteen when your father was assassinated. They're very formative years. I've, I've got three sons who both, you know, all three of them came through those ages. Very formative years for such cataclysmic things to happen. What, what impact do you think those two huge events had on your life? Well, you know, I think they were national traumas. And they were part of the national traumas. You know, there were basically kind of five or six traumas. Uh, Martin Luther King's death, my uncle, my father, the Vietnam War, uh, the, and 9-11 uh, and COVID that pushed our country in a bad direction down the road to be, you know, the military industrial complex and, and to become a kind of a surveillance state at home. But from my own personal point of view, you know, my mom told us something when we were really young, told me something when one of my brothers died. And I said to her, does, that, does the hole that they leave in you when they die, does that ever get any smaller? And she said, no, it never gets any smaller. But our job is to grow ourselves bigger around the hole by taking the best parts of that, the best virtues of that person who died and trying to incorporate them into your own life, into your own character, as part of the mourning process. And that builds you bigger as a person, so the whole proportionally gets smaller. And I think all of us in my family tried to do that. We were also schooled from when we were very little to never complain. Mm. To, you know, that my mother would say to us, there are kids in Harlem and in Watts and in Compton who lose their mother and their father. And they don't have the family we have, and they don't have the educational opportunities. And, you know, everybody takes their licks in life. And, you know, they, you have to have a mission and you have to keep moving. Take the best parts of that person. Let me ask you about your father then. 
do you feel... I mean, he was, for many people, the greatest president America sadly never had. My uncle. Oh, my father. Your okay. father. Your father. Uh, what do you think you've gained from him? And do you feel his spirit guiding you now as you run for president? Yeah, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time... I think, unlike other members of my family who are... Who, many of them are so shattered, even to this day, that they can't um, really think about my dad's, uh, you know, death or, or my Uncle Jack. Um, but I've spent a lot of time kind of reading all the literature and studying their lives, and I... Uh, I'm constantly delighted and, and surprised by how much of, um, of their... Uh, their values have stood, have withstood the, the test of time. And I think, you know, my campaign right now is about recalling America to those values. That and what are they? Party. Summarize them. Well, you know, all of the kind of traditional values of the Democratic Party, which are free speech, you know, a, a love for the Constitution, um, a, a, a protecting the environment, our, the Purple Mountains Majesty for our children, protecting... Uh, that government has a role, role protecting the rights of minorities and for uh, people who are underrepresented in the political process, um, women's right, bodily autonomy, you know, um, the, that, that smaller government is and, and more freedom is always better. And, you know, the word liberal means freedom. Mm. And, it's, uh, it's, it, and that the, uh, this idea that democracy and the, you know, freedom from a totalitarian system fosters human growth and human creativity. So a love of the arts, which is the highest aspiration of, uh, you know, of democracy. Mm -hmm. My uncle used to say that, um, that, you know, nobody really remembers the names of the generals in the Peloponnesian Wars and the, and the battles, you know. But everybody remembers the, the poems of Aeschylus and the plays of Sophocles and... Um, and the art and the sculpture and the and the, you know and the literature, the beauty of the um, of the uh, of the architecture of ancient Greece, and that that really is the ultimate aspiration of a, of a democratic society, to create things that are enduring and that elevate the human spirit. Let's take a short break. Come back and talk about what arts you're good at then, because I know it involves white water kayaking and falconry. What else do you do? <laughs> Robert F. Kennedy Jr. We'll find out after the break. Welcome back to Pith Organized Censored, looking at the Empire State Building here in Manhattan in New York. And I'm still with the presidential candidate, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Well, we left the viewers on a cliffhanger. <laughs> what are your artistic bents? What are you, where do you find your cultural solace? Uh... Well, what do you mean? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not particularly talented as an artist. Mm. Let me put that out there. <laughs> That's not a big disappointment for <laughs> people. But, I, you know, I love, like, I'm a, I have eclectic taste in music, and I love uh, art and art history and going to museums and, you know, uh, so... But I, 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 I admire it, but I'm not very good at... But falconry is a big thing in your life. Yeah, I... I what do you get from falconry? I have always had an affinity for the outdoors mm. and for nature and for me. You know, I read when my uncle was in the White House, there were a lot of people talking about Camelot, and I read T.H. White's book, The Sword or The Once and Future King, who's a British uh, falconer and an incredible writer. And it's about the story of young King Arthur, and there was a chapter there on falconry, on training hawks, which was very popular, you know, in the Middle Ages. It was the most popular sport. 
And when I read that chapter, I fell in love with it, and I became obsessed with it. And as it turned out, there was a guy who lived about a, a mile from my house who was one of the great pioneers of American falconry. His name was Alvin Nye, and my father knew about him. He was uh, uh, designing jets for the Pentagon, but the, uh, the, my father knew about him because the State Department, whenever they were visiting Arab dignitaries, they would send them to this guy's house because the Arabs are crazy for falconry. Um, and so I was able, because of my father's contact with him, I was able to apprentice under him, and I learned falconry beginning when I was nine years What's old. What's it given you, falconry? It's, uh, you know, you're, it's like being, a, you're, you're with a, a predatory bird and you're hunting in the wild. Usually I hunt with two birds at a time. And it's like being allowed, they don't change their behavior any, any they're, they're doing nothing that they wouldn't do in the wild. Right. But you're observing them close up, so it's like being allowed to hunt with a wolf pack, mm. you know, where, and who wouldn't want to do that? To and do you see, and you see a, a, an analogy to what you're doing now to the, the other Democratic <laughs> candidates? <laughs> Not really. Are you hunting <laughs> Joe Biden down like a wolf no, pack? No, but, you know, I, I preserving the environment and giving other kids the opportunity to to enjoy the richness of those kind of experience of the outdoors is one of the, I'd say, the spirit tip of my campaign that we need to, you know... Well, the other spirit of your campaign is your, your youthful vigour, and we've seen some uh, tremendous videos of you here in action, <laughs> working out here, which have got everyone going. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we look at this and we see a man in peak physical condition. Um, congratulations. But we also <laughs> are reminded of... Uh, President Biden's, let's put it kindly, lack of comparative physical condition. How concerned are you, never mind the race, but how concerned are you when you see President Biden now in public, the sheer volume of missteps, both verbal and physical? Does it concern you as an American that the president seems to be... You know, I, I don't really think that I have any uh, additional wisdom to contribute to that debate. I, I think that uh, I don't, I haven't seen President Biden in a couple of years. And I don't know, you know, I see, I saw him trip on the stage, but, you know, anybody can, as you know, anybody can trip on a stage. And, uh, and so I don't really know what his condition is. There are worrying, um, you know, videos and stuff, but uh, But do I, you sense that he may not actually run in 2024 I, I when it comes know. to it. And is that why you think you actually have a real chance of potentially becoming the Democrat nominee? I think I have a chance of becoming the Democratic nominee because my numbers are better at beating Republicans than him. Mm. So, and I think that's what the Democrats Should the party make him stand aside for you? Well, I... You know, that's... Not, first of all, that's not going to happen. Oh, but doesn't uh, that have to happen to let you... No, him? no, I mean, I, I have to win some primaries. And you think you can actually beat him yeah, in primaries? Yeah, I think I can beat him in the primaries. I mean, it'd be incredible. I'd be pretty much unprecedented if you do that, right, to an incumbent president. It's, uh... I, I, think, I think Reagan did that against uh, Gerald Ford. Right. Oh, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's unusual. But, you know, my father ran against an incumbent president, and he would have won... Um, and, uh, you know, my uncle Teddy ran against incumbent President Carter and, and lost. And do you actually he won, believe... He won, uh, he won something like 37 states. Do you actually believe that in 
2024, when we get to December, January, you will be the person I... on inauguration day addressing the American people. Okay, I'm going to be very uh, objective about this, but I'm telling you that. We have a few seconds left. If I had to put money and bet on any candidate, I would put it on me. That's good enough. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a great pleasure to meet you. If I was a gambling man. Well, I'm a gambling man. I'm either <laughs> pop myself. Good to see you.